Hello, what's this week's Sport Zone on a Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Join me the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside. Right, Paul? Hiya, Rob, you okay? How's your week been, mate? Yeah, very good, very good. Got a good weekend, got to the match and uh, it was nice to see uh, Salford Red Devils get a result and uh, been busy with work as well. So, uh, yeah, bit of, bit, of, bit of both, bit of work and a bit of pleasure, mate. Yeah, also joining the show, we've got James Sweeten from the Sweeten Salsa podcast. Looking forward to talking all things sporting Salford, James. Oh, 100% Rob. There's so much boxing, so much football. I can't wait to get into it over the next hour. Yep, yeah, so what we'll do, we'll start with Rugby League and Salford Red Devils. Paul were victorious in their first game in the Challenge Cup. They beat winners 68 points to four. Uh, talk us through it. Yes, 68-4. It was a good result, uh, Rob. I mean, uh, Widness are a, a part-time side, but they've got some sort of wily old players in there, particularly uh, Matty Smith, who we remember him from his time at Salford and St. Helens and Catalan and amongst other teams as well. So uh, they, they came and um, I thought for the first sort of 10 minutes, they were the better side. They, they moved the ball really well and showed a bit of ambition on attack. Uh, but once Salford got that first try and... And, and got in front in the game. We, we we were too strong for them, really. And we had Morgan Escaray coming in, making his debut for the club. And he looked really, really good. He was, his pace was good. He was really good on attack. He, he probably didn't get tested in defence, which he's going to get in the in the Super League games. But that was a big plus for us. That thought Jack Armandroyd, uh, prop forward, ran really well, and he's improving every game. And he he was probably the man of the match for me. Him and him and Morgan Escaray were, were both superb. Matty Costello came in as well to make his debut. Scored two tries and. The first half was one-way traffic, really, 24 points up, and uh, we just got a try right on half-time. We well-deserved try, actually, because they, uh, they did move the ball well in the first half, but 24 points to four at half-time was a, was a good display from Salford. Yeah, two tries from Morgan Escalade and Matty, Matty Costello. Uh, do you think they forced themselves into the recognition uh, for next week's game? Definitely, yeah. I think Morgan Escalade looked, uh, looked really good. As I said before, it's difficult to, to sort of say how he's going to go in defence because he didn't really get tested against Widness and he will do, you know, against Catalan Dragons next week but he, he definitely played himself into the team. He's got that flair, he's got that pace off the mark, he's got a really good step as well and he was very, very elusive and I think one thing from that pleased me his support play reminded me very much of, of Niall Levels we had last season. He was there backing up all the time and, um, you know, that's what you need. You know, that he was all over the place, really. Matty Costello came in, scored two really solid tries, set a couple of tries up as well, one in the second half of a lovely pass on the on the left edge, uh, which was, was good play. And, you know, we looked we look clinical in that second half. I think we was ruthless as well. I mean, we scored a lot of points, you know, at the back end of the game where sometimes you can put the cue on the rack, can't you, when you, you're so far in front. But Salford didn't yesterday. They were ruthless. They went for the jugular, and uh, and they put witness to the sword. Really, it was a, it was a good performance. But you know, you're not going to be judged on that. You, you've got to start winning matches in the Super League now. So um, you know, take nothing away from them yesterday uh, on Saturday. Sorry, they beat the side that was in front of them and beat them convincingly well. Yeah, it's very interesting. Like you said, momentum at Salford Abbey in that game, especially in the second half, because good teams show that regardless of the opposition. Paul, uh, they go through the gears whoever they play, and that's what Salford did against Widnes. They, they, they gave you know some good performances in that second half, were clinical, and kept that scoreboard ticking over. Yeah, well, it's a record score, that against against Widnes. I think the previous record score was 48-6 in the Challenge Cup in 1998, the last time we beat them in the Cup. So, uh, so yeah, we've never scored over 50, 60 points against Widnes before. So, yeah, that's gone down in the record books, that result, 68 points. I, mean, I thought it was 70 at the end because I was making some notes when Chris and Inu took that kick and I heard the ball at the bar. 
I presumed it had gone over because the scoreboard changed to 70, but no, it was 68. So, uh, but yeah, we did. We clicked through the gears and, you know, credit to Widnes. They, they, they kept battling away there. But, you know, I think with, with Widnes, from their point of view, they've got an awful lot of young players in that squad and, uh, you know, some bright young talent. I think they'll be all right in, you know, in a couple of years' time. But at the moment, they're, uh, they, found, they found it tough in the, in the championship and they found it tough against Salford. But it was nice to see a Salford side play with a smile on the face and, you know, move the ball around and, the tries that they scored were, were excellent as well. And as I say, Christian Inu's goal kicking was pretty good until the end of the game, until he, he missed a couple towards the end. But that was a clinical display and uh, it's always good to progress in the cup. And we're into the uh, into the into the last eight now and, uh, and a drawn Castleford Tigers in the last eight, which is going to be a, another tough game for us. Yeah, I spoke to Richard Marshall uh, after the game and this is what I had to say. Right, Rick, it's Rob. Hi, Rob. Um, good win today. Boost to the next round. Talk us through it. Yeah, we enjoyed that. We, we enjoyed the second half more than the first half. Uh, we, we 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 spoke in the week about just being us and and being what uh, what we need to be. Never mind who who the opposition was. And I thought we carried that through. First half, we had a couple of moments where we didn't quite nail the plan. Second half, we absolutely nailed it, and uh, and we got the res- we got the result that that, that we deserved. Uh, I thought we deserved to win the game. Uh, Witness didn't have their strongest team out as well. They had a couple of uh, people playing out of position. Shane Grady and Steve Tyra. I've coached them two young boys and uh, I've never coached Shane Grady at front row and I've never seen Steve Tyra in the back row. Um, so, so you know, credit to Witness for, for coming up and uh, and doing a real good, making a real good fist of it. Yeah, two tries from Matt Costello and two from Morgan Escalé. Impressed today. Are they in contention for next week? Well, you'd like to think so. Um, we'll we'll review the the, the performance. Um, as long as players, you know, they've been sat on the sidelines for a couple of weeks, but they've been in and around the team. Um, we'll review the, the 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 game as we always do, whether we win or lose, and and we'll um, and we'll make our pick our team in the week. But they, let's be honest, they've not done themselves any disservice there. Yeah, were you impressed with the game management and the intensity in that second half? Yeah, the speed was really good. I thought we played the game real well, and we're 100 metre sets, kick off, and we'll get. It's difficult just when you've conceded to save stuff behind the sticks that Witness will have been saying, and then a couple of minutes later you're back in the same position. I've been on the on the receiving end, and that. it's not nice. Um, but we we had to perform well today. It, it was a non-negotiable that we performed well today, and as a result, we got a, a, a really good win. Yeah, Paula Paula returning was impressive. Was that the kind of reaction you were looking for for the players coming in? Yeah, you do. That's what you want. You want a reaction. You want to say, "Well, I'm here. I'm here, Rich. Pick me." Uh, they all, they all, they all, they all put their hands up for that. Um, you know, our, our front line, so to speak, we brought brought off pretty early on in the game, and, uh, and give opportunities to other players. Is the, 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 the season will be a long season, and uh, we, you know we've got a 29, 28 man squad, and everyone will get a run at some point. Ollie Roberts came on as well. Um, Ivy Levet. Had to go on as well at half back, and we reshuffled things around. But but the the, the same the, the end product was still was still the same. Yeah, Catalan next week's gonna be tough on and off the field. That yeah, that's what it is. We've got to get there, get the job done, and hopefully um, get away in one piece. Uh, I think that's that's that, you know we're the first team to go over there. So uh, I've obviously we've been over before to Catalan, but usually you stay a couple of days and. It's a whole different ball game, but basically it's just like going to Hull, really. You know, instead of being on a coach two hours, we're on a plane for two hours. 
we get to the we get to the ground and um, we'll have a bit of downtime there, and there'll be there'll be some issues to to resolve. But ultimately, for eighty minutes, we need to be at, be at our best next week. Cheers, Rick. Good luck. So, Richard Marshall was impressed uh, with Salford's uh, momentum, like we said, and it's kind of a building block for him. His first uh, official win uh, for Salford Red Devils in, in the Challenge Cup. Hopefully, they'll be able to kick on in the uh, in the Super League. Yeah, I think it's a, a, re- a relief for Richard Marshall to get his, his first result. I think in a game like that against Widnes, aside from the Championship, you tend to be on a bit of a hide into nothing because everybody expects you to, to win the game. and you don't always get the credit you deserve for winning it. But I think to score 68 points against any team is good. And for me, what impressed me was the ruthlessness of the side, as I said before, you know, to to, to score that amount of points again in the second half and keep going and keep going is good. And, you know, new players coming into the team did well. I thought, you know, Oliver Roberts got his, his first taste, I think, this season. And he, he, he came on and did well. Darcy Lussett came in, made his debut. Morgan S. Chris, as we've discussed, played really well. Matty Costello. So there was a lot of signs there, a lot of positive signs there. And Declan Patton as well, playing at half-back for uh, long spells of the game. With with, with Chris Atkin and, and, and Tuilola here, both of them, they all, they all sort of changed round there. And, and he worked at hooker as well. So... He, there was a lot of options there for Richard Marshall. I think he'd be pleased with that and he might have learnt a lot from that game So uh, going forward. So it's going to be tough against Catalan, there was no doubt about that. Yeah, obviously Catalan away with the COVID crisis in France. Uh, do, do, obviously, us fans aren't able to go, uh, but is there, would there be a bit of worry, do you think, in, in that Salford camp? No, I'm pretty sure they'll be all right, Rob. They, they'll just be going in and out, I think. From what I've heard, they, they're just going on the day and then travelling back on the day. So I think, they, I'm not sure where they're travelling to, but pretty certain they're travelling to France, I presume Perpignan or whatever, then getting a coach to the ground, going to the match, and then they're travelling back from another airport, I think, a different airport to the one they're flying into, then just going home straight after the game. So it'll just be in and out. They won't be mingling with anybody, will they? will just be staying in, you know, with themselves. And yeah, I'm sure they'll be fine, Rob. I'm, I'm sure they'll be OK. It's a shame supporters can't go, because it's, it's a great trip to, to Catalan. But I suppose the obvious thing would have been they could have swapped the games around and we could have played Catalan at home this week and then away later in the season. But to be honest with you, it's probably best to play Catalan now because if we're to swap it for our reverse fixture, I think we play him sort of July time and you don't want to go and play over there in July in that boiling hot weather. So it might be better to play them now. So so they're going to be tough. They've started the season really well, as we say. They've won two league games and they were very impressive in the Challenge Cup against Wakefield this weekend. Just looking really- so let's talk uh, Swinton Lions now, Paul. They were also in Challenge Cup action. Uh, they were defeated against Warrington Wolves. They lost 32 points to eight. You know, big performance by Stuart Littler's men. They've got to be proud of that. Yeah, they certainly have. Uh, terrific display from them, really. I mean, a lot of people would have expected Warrington to get a cricket score in that game. Um, and they didn't. You know, the, the bookies were giving Swinton a 40-point start on the coupon. And, and I, I went with Swinton. I didn't think they'd lose by that many. And they've done really well there. And... Uh, you know that that'll give them a lot going forward because they've had a decent start to the to the season in the uh, in the Challenge Cup. You know in the previous rounds to get there, they got beat in the league against Oldham, but that that's going to give them the world of confidence that you know running uh, running Warrington like that. You know we know Warrington are a champion side, lots of big players as well. So uh, you know they'll be going for the, for both competitions, won't the Super League and the Challenge Cup? So terrific display for Swinton. Let's hope that gives them a lot of confidence now going forward in the league. Yeah, ex-Solfer uh, player Lewis Roberts will got over the line for Swinton Lions. He's a, he's a great pros- prospect, uh, Lewis. It's great he's got the game time at Swinton to develop. 
Yeah, certainly. Yeah, he's got the size, hasn't he? And, uh, and got the ability, got some pace as well. And looking forward to seeing how he develops. He's only a really young man, so he's got plenty of time to develop and and learn his craft at, at Swinton now. And um, I think he'll expect a, a big future for him on the. Uh, on the on the domestic stage, but also on the international stage as well, you know. So uh, he's um, he's a good young player, is Lewis, and great to see him doing well at Swinton, and great to see him get over the line for a try there, especially against a team like Warrington, who've you know got a star-studded side, and they had a good side out in the in the cup game as well. So uh, congratulations to the young man there. That'll that'll do his confidence in the world of good. Yeah, obviously Stuart Littler um, testing his mettle against the, the best in, in Super League. You know, a great coach, up-and-coming coach. It's only going to benefit him playing against Super League opposition because he knows that you know, what it takes to be at the very top level playing against likes of Warrington every week. Well, that's right. And, and Stuart Littler's, um, you know, building his building his stock up, really, at Swindon. He's been there a few years now and, and, and made good progress, really. And, you don't have the biggest budget in the world, and we've mentioned that before. That the championship has got some some big hitters in there. If you look at the likes of Featherstone Rovers and, and Toulouse Olympique, uh, York City Knights, they've, they've spent a lot of money those those sides, and amongst others, London Broncos as well. So, uh, so Swinton have, have got it tough against those sort of budgets, and 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 they, they hold their own and do really well. So uh, it's going to be a tough season for them this time. I, I, I've said it before. I think Swinton can go well this season. I think they can be a real a real tough side to beat at Haywood Road. If they can make Haywood Road a fortress and make it tough for teams to go to, there's no reason why they can't finish really high on the table. And Stuart Little's a wily coach. He's made some good signings this season. You know, I think the Martin Ridyard signing was a, you know, a masterstroke for him there. And amongst other players, he's got some, some good players in his squad anyway. We mentioned Rodri Lloyd and, and Mike Butt every week. They've been there a while now and a mainstay of that side. So so Swinton can carry on progressing and, and, and doing well. And you know, Stuart Little's uh, stock keeps rising all the time. He's doing a terrific job there. Yeah, Featherstone Rovers at home this this week, uh, James. Opportunity for Stuart Litton and his men uh, to bounce back. Yeah, it, it certainly is. It's um, that'll be a tough game, you know. Featherstone Rovers, well, them and Toulouse are the two favourites, aren't they, for the, for the championship? I think probably Featherstone have just got the edge, really. If you look at some of the players that they've signed, you've got Adam Cuthbertson's there in the team. They've signed Chris Willem from Salford. We all know Chris is a terrific player. Craig Copjack's there, amongst other players as well, and. Um, the, uh, the the wingman they've got um, what's his name was Ulkayar his name escapes me the goal kicker what's he called um, Ridyard played at Hull no he played at Hull the Featherstone Rovers lad what's his name Craig Craig Hall Craig Hall that's his name he's um, a real points machine isn't he wherever he's been so he's a he's probably still good enough for Super League so Featherstone Rovers got a terrific squad there and and they they like I said they'll be a big hitter so that's a big test for Swinton Lions but as I said before if you want to do things sometimes you've got to make your home forces you've got to win games at home and this will be a big test for them now and you know, it'll be difficult without a crowd in there you want you know some Swintonians in there getting behind you but at the moment you can't but I'm sure they'll give Featherstone Rovers a, a big test it'll be another another good game and I'm not too sure whether that'll be on the the hour league gap a lot of the games are at the moment you might be able to watch it on there. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic, you know, all our local sides competing and we're all going to be covering it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Uh, so that's all the Rugby League uh, chat uh, for this week, uh, Paul. And next up, we're going to be talking boxing with you and James. Yeah, there absolutely was, Rob. And what better place to start with the man of the moment, the destroyer, Conor Ben, who put on by far the greatest performance of his career as he stopped Colombian Samuel Vargas inside the very first round. And by no means am I saying anything other than this being a fantastic performance. It definitely was. However, Paul, for me, all talk of Amir Khan and Kel Brook, Adrian Broner, and especially Sean Porter, 
surely it's too early. I mean, Conor Byrne is yet to win a title at British level. And the likes of Porter pushed Errol Spence very close in just his last fight. Are we losing an element of perspective here in the levels in boxing? Um, I don't know. I think sometimes you've got to be excited about Conor Byrne. I think sometimes in sport, once sort of every generation or so, your fighters come along, same as footballers, rugby players, and they're special. And Conor Benny special. The way he put Fargas away, that that was that was a statement, Matt. Um, you know, it, it, there's no way he's going to live with him. That power, that speed. Every time he fights Conor Benny, or the last few I've seen of him, he's got... He's probably one of the most exciting fighters in Great Britain. I can't think of anybody. If I had the choice now of who to watch this weekend, I'd watch Conor Ben any day of the week because he just excites me. As soon as he gets in the ring, everything he does, it's the speed, it's the power. He doesn't mess about. He just he just wants to, to, to knock people out. And that, that was a... That was an awesome performance. It really was. Don't take nothing away from him there. It was a great display against a, a really tough boxer, a really tough boxer in, in Vargas. He, he's tough. You know, nobody's dispatched him like that before. I think it was about 80 seconds or so. I actually had a bet that, um, that Conor Bennett win in 60 seconds at 100 to 1. So I think it was about 84 seconds or something like that. So I was a bit gutted. But I was expecting that from him. I, I really thought he'd come out and, 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 and blast his way to victory. And he did. And, you know, just be, him speaking after the fight, He's so ambitious. He's so so confident in his own ability and, and, and what he's got to offer. I mean, Eddie Hearn was frightened to death when he stood next to him at the interview. So I think we're going to see some amazing fights. I'm not so sure about the Amir Khan fight. I don't, if I was Amir Khan, I don't think I'd want to fight him. I really don't. So, so yeah, I think he, he's still got to keep grounded. And, and like you say, I think you've just got to keep progressing. And I think from what, you know, Tony Smith, Sims, is, um, his trainer, is, is vastly experienced. He's, he's worked with some of the best, hasn't he? And been in some of the, the great stories in boxing, you know, working with Anthony Joshua and done terrific stuff with Darren Barker and other people as well. So he'll keep him grounded and he'll make sure he goes on the right route. And I think the right route is to go through through the titles, you know, the British title, European title, Commonwealth title and on to, the, to world level. But if he gets an opportunity with somebody that's too good to turn down. He's, he's got to take it. But at the moment, you'd, you'd fancy him to give anybody a chance. But that, that, that welterweight division that he's in, it's probably one of the, the most hottest divisions in boxing, isn't it? You know, some of the names in there that they were reaming off last night, it's frightening, really. But Conor Ben is going to get his chance. There's no doubt about that. So we look at those names that were mentioned on Saturday. Amir Khan, Kelbrook, Sean Porter, Adrian Broner. There's four huge names there and four fights that will most certainly be pay-per-view blockbusters. Do you think, which ones does he beat and which ones does he lose against? Um, To be honest with you, it's difficult. When you've watched a boxer fight like he did last night, you think he can beat anybody. But like you said, it's all about levels. You might not get the opportunity when you fight. You know, the, the Vargas last night, he looked tired to me. You might not get that opportunity against Amir Khan or Kel, but these are seasoned fighters. These are guys who've been in with the best, aren't they? But they're also two guys, Brooke and Khan, who are at the back end of their career. Conor Ben's, what, 23, 24. He, he's rising up there. He's going to be a lot quicker than they are. Um, his reactions are going to be quicker. What's, what's Kel Brook and, and Amir Khan got left? Then you're talking about the likes of Broner. These are these are quality world operators who've been in with the best. They've been in the big fights all around the world. So you've got to take your time and get things right. And, and Conor Ben's still learning, isn't he? So I think this is where Tony Sims and his, his team have got to, 
you know, go around the right path for him. Keep his feet on the ground. Don't rush in too early because what you don't want is to throw him in with somebody and get knocked out and then you never see him again. He drifts out of the sport. So he really has. He's, he's at a real pivotal stage now of his career. You know, the excitement's there definitely, but, you know, don't don't rush things. Just just take your time because he, he can be a world champion. There's no doubt about that. He's got all the tools in his armoury to do it. It's the aggression for me. He's, he's his biggest tool, I think. He's so aggressive, but he's so confident in his own ability as well. And, just listening to him, he's, he's got it. He's got that belief and he's got that desire. You know, you can't coach that. You can't coach that desire. And, you know, looking at him, he, he's so hungry to do well. And you'd probably have to carry him out of that ring before he'd, he'd get out. He's, he's got no no quit in his body at all. He's got the heart of a lion. And that's dangerous when you're a boxer, it really is. So uh, whatever, whatever the, the, the road they go down, I'm sure they'll pick the right one for him and you'll see him in a cracking fight, I'm sure, later on this year. I think he's he's just had a, had a baby, hasn't he, his wife? So he'll probably be taking a bit of time out now next few months, but I'm sure you'll see him in the ring again before the end of the year. So when we look at all these prospects, the likes of, you know, Lawrence Acoli, of course, he's a world champion now, and Anthony Fowler and Josh Kelly and Daniel DeBoer, all these names, they're either underperforming outside of the ring or underperforming inside the ring. Do you think with the way Conor Ben is, he's so outspoken, he speaks his mind, and he's putting in such exciting performances as well. Do you think he's the man who's going to take the torch away from the Anthony Joshua's and the Tyson Furies as the next pay-per-view star from this country? I think so. Definitely, definitely. I was really excited all day yesterday, looking forward to, to, to fight night. And um, I knew what I was going to expect with Conor Ben because he's, he's just so so good to watch. I mean, some of the fights on the bill last night, I mean, there were some poor ones on there and there were some good ones, but the Conor Ben fight was absolutely tremendous. And yeah, I, I think so. He's got all the tools, as I said, to, to do it. He's got that aggression, the speed and power. That way, He's got power to trouble anybody, and and yeah, I think you're right. I think he's he's got everything. He, he has got the the, the charisma, um, he's sort of character. He's he's somebody that the, the country can really get behind, and I hope they do because he's got the talent. He's got the talent to trouble, you know, some of these guys at world level. I mean, you were talking about Broner there before, you know, there's just like Garcia and people like that are at even bigger level, aren't they? So he's got it all to do. The world's his oyster now. He, he can take all those, but he's got to take his time and do it the right way. And when we look at the undercard, Paul, there was a great uh, fight between Shannon Courtney and Ebony Bridges for the WBA Championship of the World. And it got a lot of stick in the build at this one, mainly because Ebony Bridges tends to use her, her looks to advantage to build her profile. And even more people watched the way in for her fight than they did for Conor Benj, you see, you know, the lingerie she's wearing and all that side, I think. In the end, it delivered and it was a great fight. Shannon Courtney was the victor on the night. Do you think what Bridges did in the build-up was positive for the fight and positive for the sport? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think you've got two good characters there. I mean, Shannon Courtney's a good character as well. You, you look at her story, the way she, way she came from. She was a bit of a wild child in, in her earlier days as well. And to be fair to both ladies, they both look terrific on the scale. So uh, I'm not arguing about that. But I think the fight as well, the fight lived up to it. Sometimes, you know, you can say oh, that the fight wasn't, you know, a, a good fight or whatever, but it was a terrific fight. It was a terrific fight, and you, you could have closed your eyes there. And it could have been two two males fighting. The, the, the aggression that they had. I'm not taking anything away from from ladies boxing at, at all, but that was a that was a tremendous fight. It really was. The, the technique of both of them 
was absolutely outstanding. And the bravery, you know, head clashes and the, the, the cuts and things like that there. It was it was an absolutely awesome fight and you couldn't take anything away from either boxer. You know, Ebony Bridges, I thought, was outstandingly brave. Shannon Courtney boxed really well, showed her a power and, and she took a chance there, you know, coming into that fight, you know, at short notice as well. So uh, it was a great fight, a, a, a cracking one to watch. And my little girl watched the fight night with me uh, on, on Saturday night. She's not really into sport, but she watched that and she was absolutely amazed by it. And I think she's going to become a big, uh, a big women's boxing fan now because she absolutely loved it and was hooked to it. And I think that's great when, when that happens, when, when, when youngsters see things like that and it inspires them. So a cracking fight that. And well done to Shannon Courtney. She had a great win and fully deserved points win. So in 20 years, when she's a world champion, she'll have Shannon Courtney to thank. Yeah, and a, and a dad as a trainer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was another cracking fight as well, a world title fight between Savannah Marshall and Maria Lindbergh. And Marshall absolutely dismantled her 44-year-old opponent, knocked her down several times, and Lindbergh quit, didn't seem to want any more of Marshall. She's got this ferocious punching power, which I don't think we've ever seen before in women's boxing. She's now calling out Clarissa Shields, who a lot of people argue is the greatest female fighter of all time. The only person to have achieved undisputed status in men's or women's boxing in two weight classes. Seemingly, this is the fight we all want to see. Marshall beat her in the amateurs as well. This morning, Clarissa Shields has been a bit dismissive about the fight. People saying that maybe she's got to press herself out. But does this have the ingredients, if made, to be the greatest fight and biggest fight in female boxing history. Yeah, it could be. I, I must admit, I'm particularly looking forward to the fight on the 1st of May between uh, Natasha Jonas and, and Katie Taylor. I think that's going to be a tremendous fight, you know, listening to her, to her last night talking that she's really fired up for that one. I think that's got all the hallmarks. But yeah, I think I think you could be right there. You're talking about a, a fantastic champion and, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a great win at the weekend for her. So, uh, you know, she's got a good team behind her. I think Peter Fury does a lot of work with her and, you know, you can see the, the, the ways that he's brought her on there, the punching power and and that skill as well and you know just the way she, she moves around the ring so there's a lot to be positive about there and yeah there's some tremendous fights and I mean women's boxing is absolutely outstanding at the moment some of the, the fights that we're seeing and you know like you said about the way in there I think it all adds, it all adds to the excitement of it so uh, we're seeing some cracking stuff and to be honest with you I'm really really pleased that we can have these mixed boxing bills now with women's boxing and, and, and men's boxing on the same bills because some of these cards have been absolutely outstanding uh, they, they really have. There's, there was one or two disappointing fights, I thought, at the, the fight night at, at the weekend. Um, but, but most of the fights on that bill were really, really enjoyable. We're going to cross overseas now when we've spoken in large about the story of Joe Smith Jr., the blue-collar man, a man who works a nine-to-five job doing construction work. He's come out of complete nowhere when he beat Andre Fanfara as a 30-to-one underdog. He backed it up with knockout victories over legendary Bernard Hopkins, and then Jesse Hart and Alida Alvarez. And finally on Saturday night, he got to fight for a world title against Maxime Vlasov. It was a razor close fight, Paul. I mean, personally, I thought there was five clear rounds apiece and there was two swing rounds. It really could have gone either way. At points, Vlasov was schooling the Long Island man, but then Smith would bounce back and rock the Russian to get his own points in the fight. And... All in all, it was very difficult to score. Joe Smith won it and is a new world champion. It could have gone either way, but what a great story this is. And how inspiring is it that a man who has such a blue-collar background, such an average man, has become a world champion? I think it's fantastic, James. I really do. And like you said, the, the, the fight could have gone either way, but... 
sometimes it's nice when the fight goes that way because that that guy really deserves it. So, you know, it's difficult to to score a fight like that. I mean, as you said, it could have gone either way, but it was a terrific story. You know, he's worked so hard for it, and it's heartwarming when things like that happen because they don't always happen in sport, do they? You know, the underdog doesn't always win. You know, sometimes they can deserve to win, but you know, things conspire against them. So, uh, so I thought it was tremendous for him, and uh, you know, hats off to him. You know, to 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 come from. You know, in your construction industry, and, and and not be sort of a full-time athlete, you know, spending all your time doing that. It's tremendous dedication, it really is, and you know, great to see. And I was I was very very pleased for him. Yeah, I think we all were. And somebody else who we could well be pleased for this weekend is a man who you've sung the praises of for years on this show, and it's Liam Williams, one of the best fighters to come out of Wales for a very long time, supremely talented. But he's got it all to do on Saturday night as he challenges Demetrius Andrade for the WBO Middleweight Championship of the World. And it's a simple question, Paul. Does Liam Williams live up to the hype? Is he as good as we think he all is? Or do we see a superb performance from an American who for a very long period of time hasn't quite gained the notoriety he should have done? Who hasn't hasn't quite had the fights which we feel he should have had? Is this the big performance for him? Which way does it go? Yeah, I can remember watching Demetrius Andrade against uh, Brian Rose a, a long time ago uh, for world title. That seems years ago. And he never quite lived up to to how he, how he thought he was going to do after that. And, uh, you know, this is a massive fight for him now, but it's a massive fight for Liam Williams as well. And as you said before, I'm a big Liam Williams fan. Um, he's, he's a nasty boxer. He really is. He's got that nastiness about him and that that edge. And, and that's great to see in a fight. A bit similar to, to Conor Ben, as we mentioned him before. Liam Williams has got that and he's a really rugged guy, but also a very, very clever clever boxer. Great ring craft, really real tough chin. No, a granite chin, like a Carl Frotch sort of chin. And he's going to need that against Andrade. And uh, he's probably going to be outside. I'm not saying that they're betting for this, but I'm going to go with Liam Williams. I really am. I think he's, he's got a tremendous chance of, uh, of winning this. And I, I really hope he does because he deserves it. He's, he's had a fantastic career and got his big opportunity now at uh, this uh, world level. And I hope he takes it. I really do because he deserves it. And there's one last big fight card to break down, and it's a very controversial one, Paul. It's the battle between a YouTube star in Jake Paul and a wrestler in Ben Askren. We talk regularly as to whether these fights are good for the sport or not. It's difficult to say, and we'll get on to your opinion in just a minute. In terms of the fight itself, you've got a man in Paul. He's had a few boxing matches. He's incredibly raw. He doesn't have much combat sports experience. He's not necessarily a natural fighter, but he's very athletic, punches very hard, and he has more boxing experience. Then the opposite corner, we've got Ben Askren, who was a notorious, terrible striker in his mixed martial arts career. But he has competed at a very high level of sport. He's used to these high-pressure situations. So it simply comes down for me, can Jake Paul's potential natural talent in the boxing realm overwhelm Ben? Can he stop him early? Or will the fact that Ben Askren has so much experience, will he be able to tie him up in clinches? Will he be able to bend the boxing rules a little bit? Maybe smother the YouTuber, take him to deep waters where he can't swim. It's a very interesting one, Paul, but... Has this engaged your interest at all yet? Is it something that maybe might creep up at you at the end of the week, or are you quite dismissive of it? 
it's not really captured my imagination yet, to be honest. I'm not so sure. I'll probably keep my eye on it. But you know me, I'm a bit of a boxing purist, really. I'm not really into gimmicks and things like that. I'm a quite a traditionalist in, in, in life, not just, just, just in sport. So I'll, I'll see how it goes on. But as you said there about, you know, the athleticism of the other guy, it's, it's, it's difficult. Boxing's difficult. I mean... I'm just going back to the, the Sky Sports car at the weekend. The the Scottish lad, I can't remember his name. His name escapes me. The rugby union uh, chap who played, you know, for eight years in rugby union came into boxing, and and you could tell there he was a bit green. He did well, but he's a bit green. He wasn't quite right. His chin was in the air a little bit, and yeah, he's been a great athlete in rugby in rugby union, but moving into boxing, it's a totally different sport sometimes. So you can be a great athlete in, in other sports, but are you going to be able to bring it over to that? So it's the fight game, it's totally different. So he's going to have his work cut out. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but you, you probably swung me a bit now. I do. I'm, I'm quite intrigued now to, to see what happens. But uh, but yeah, I'm not a massive fan of these gimmicks, but I've got my eye on this now. You've, uh, you've swayed me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we like to do on the radio, Paul. We like to make an impact and sway you over. And maybe on Saturday night, you'll give it a whirl. But there's a couple of interesting facts on the undercard, one of which is a bit of a gimmick, one like the first. But one that might pique your interest is a pure boxing fan. It's the return of Regis Progray, a former unified world champion and somebody who pushed Josh Taylor very close in the World Boxing Super Series final. He's back against Ivan Redcar. Hopefully he can get the cobwebs off. And, you know, I think Progray can become a world champion again. Yeah, I think so. He's another one who's uh, he's been a real tough fighter, hasn't he? You just mentioned the the, the Taylor fight there, and, and unlucky in that that uh, that that competition that was involved in that it was the elite fighters of the division. So uh, so yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. You know, this this is a purist sort of fight and uh, a difficult one to call as well. It, it really is. But I'd like to see him uh, to see him uh, get get another result because he's been, he's been a terrific fighter over the years as, as progress. So uh, I'm excited about that one. It should uh, should add to the card anyway, definitely. And the final gimmicky fight, which we're going to analyze, is former cruiserweight champion of the world, a man who put Tyson Fury over back in the day. Steve USS Cunningham is back in the ring, and he's fighting Frank Mir, who is a former UFC champion of the world. We all assume that Steve Cunningham is probably going to win this one. What does it mean, though, Paul? Is it good to have a victory over, you know, Frank Mir, who was at one point the hardest man on the planet in the UFC, or is it simply... You know, he's a boxer. He should be beating a UFC fighter. Uh, a bit of a bit of fifty-fifty there. I think if if you're talking about somebody being one of the, the toughest and hardest people in the world, I think if if you beat them, it's a feather in your cap. But you, you, it's difficult. I, I always think we, when sports cross like that, you're expected to to win. I know we, we've had it before in rugby. I remember Wigan rugby league playing um, Bath rugby union. They did a half of. of um, or a game of rugby league, and then they played a game of rugby union, and each team won their own sport. And I, I always think, what you're trying to gain from it, because it's, it just seems odd to me sometimes. But you'd expect in a boxing bout the, the boxer to win all day long, really. So, uh, so I, I would expect him, him to win that. But yeah, it's another intriguing contest, and if it's part of that card, you know, I might I might give that one a whirl as well. I think. Well, it'll be very interesting, Paul, and we'll break down however this freak show goes. Will it be the YouTuber or the wrestler? I mean, I'm personally hoping for the wrestler after some of the YouTuber's antics, and I've always liked Ben Askren. He never achieved what potentially he could have done in the UFC. He was a little bit older when he joined, but I'm hoping for one last big win for him in the sporting world, even though, albeit, you know, it's not necessarily his sport. But anyway, I'm now going to throw over to Rob to hit me with some UFC questions. 
Yep, let's talk UFC now, James. This weekend, the man with my favourite nickname, Bobby Knuckles, also known as Robert Whittaker, returns to the Octagon on the back of a two-fight winning streak. But there's a tough opponent waiting for him. There absolutely is, Rob. And for many a year, I think he's been one of your favourites, if exclusively just for the nickname. <laughs> but Robert Whittaker has been a great fighter over the years. And after losing his middleweight title to Israel Adesanya, he's bounced back with two big wins. One over Liverpool's Darren Till, and then the next over the American Jared Cannonier. And it seems as though he's just one fight away from a rematch with Adesanya. But in the opposite corner is a man who's extremely dangerous, and that is Kelvin Gastelum. They were actually meant to fight a few years ago, but unfortunately, Robert Whittaker was dealt with a horrific injury when his hernia nearly exploded out of his body, and the whole fight had to be scuppered last minute. But now this fight is finally taking place. Gastelum... He also fought Adesanya a few years ago and put in probably a better performance than Whitaker last that night. However, he's not become a world champion and he's still got that in his sights. In terms of the actual fight itself, as good as Kelvin Gastelum is, he hits extremely hard. I think there's a little added extra bit of class with Robert Whitaker, And I think he'll just about be able to get this one done. But it'll have to be picture perfect for every single second of the fight. Because Gastelum has got one-punch knockout power. And if he lands, Whitaker's lights could well go out. Will the winner of this rematch uh, get a rematch with the champion? I think so, yeah. I mean, Robert Whitaker was seemingly very close to a rematch with Adesanya. And it's not happened. We thought after his last fight, he might get it. Gastelum as well. He could, well, he could get a rematch. Their first fight was unbelievable. In fact, it was probably the closest fight of Israel Adesanya's career during his middleweight stint. I mean, which fight would the fans like to see? Robert Whittaker is most certainly a favourite amongst every mixed martial arts enthusiast. However, his fight with Adesanya wasn't really that close. But he was emotional. He was going through troubles in his personal life. Can he make it different in this next fight if he gets an opportunity? Can he come back more motivated with a better game plan and get the result? Who knows? But Kelvin Gastelum has already proved he rocked Adesanya. He put him over. He probably has the better cry for a rematch. He probably has more chance in a rematch if it takes place. But either Victor Manny wins this, I think the winner most certainly gets a shot against Adesanya. Last week, we spoke about the new heavyweight champion. The most certainly not. John Jones is asking for 20 million, which is you know way and beyond his highest ever payday. John Jones is a great fighter, probably the most talented we've ever seen. But none of his fights have ever surpassed a million pay-per-view buys. I don't think he's quite the crossover star that maybe his talent warrants. And maybe that's because he has been so inactive. Maybe that's because he's had so many run-ins with the law, whether it be drug-related or hit-and-run-related. Maybe that's why he's not crossed over. But he doesn't warrant £20 million. However, could he warrant about eight, nine, ten? Potentially. I mean, he is the most talented star the sport has ever seen. And... This fight, I think, is his biggest yet. Francis Ngardou is the UFC champion, which this sport has always deserved. As good as Stipe Miocic was, as good as Daniel Cormier was, they don't have that terrifying presence that Francis Ngardou has, that one-punch knockout power, that interesting story of coming from Cameroon, working in Samites, evading jail time, trying to find his way over to France to pursue boxing. He's a very, very intimidating man. So I feel like this fight has all the workings of being the biggest in heavyweight history. So he deserves a good payday, but maybe not quite as good as what he's asking for. 
Uh, final UFC question. On Saturday, there's some action from another promotion in which there's a high-level tournament going on from their heavyweight championship. Can you break down Friday night's quarter-final and preview the next two tournament bouts, which happens on Friday? Yeah, I absolutely can. To kick off, I'll talk about the whole tournament as a whole. Bellator, probably the biggest organisation outside the UFC, have announced an eight-man tournament for their heavyweight title and there's been great matchups we kicked it off with a former champion Ryan Bader he defeated Lyoto Machida it was actually an avenge of a defeat for Ryan Bader who recently lost his title so he'll be extremely happy to have got this victory he really will be in advance to the semi-finals and he's one step closer to getting his belt back as for Lyoto Machida he's done so much in this sport he really has but for me I think it's time to retire Moving on to the next two quarterfinals, the world champion Nemkov will defend his belt in a rematch against Davis. And I feel this is one when Nemkov can announce himself to the world. Although he's a champion within the promotion, he's not quite got that mainstream success yet. But a big win here could well get in that. And I see him advancing to the semifinals. And then we've got a matchup in Corey Anderson and Yagshermadov. And that is a good fight. Yagshermadov coming from a different organization as well. He was a champion there, very dangerous fighter. But I'm going to slightly give the edge towards Corey Anderson. So let's talk uh, football now, James. Salford City FC, uh, two wins in the last two games. Big turnaround from them. One million percent, Rob. I was criticised at Salford City left, right and centre and wasn't I on this show saying that they weren't playing at the best and they weren't good enough. But they've answered me and put me in my place, haven't they? They've been terrific in the last two games, beating Forest Green and beating Stevenage, two teams that they weren't necessarily favoured to beat. I've been extremely happy with the performances that they've been putting in. And out of nowhere, they're only four points off the playoff again, Rob. And you know what? Sometimes on this show, I'm fickle. Sometimes I can be a bit a bit all over the place, but I'm going to start to dare to dream again. And I know I was having nightmares a few weeks ago, but I'm back in action now. And I'm back in the faith that Salford could maybe, just maybe, make the playoffs. How are you feeling, Rob? Yeah, I think they're going great guns. Last, uh, last two games, uh, new coaches come in, made a difference. Uh, Gary Bowyer, um, he certainly turned them on. Uh, James seems to be playing some good football at the moment, especially Ian Henderson. Three goals in two games for him. You know, he seems to be the guy that's pushing them on. Yeah, he's a great player, isn't he? And he's having such a massive impact at the moment. And without him, would we have won last, those last two games? Who knows? He's been absolutely tremendous. And the manager seems to be having a little good run of spell at the moment. And we've got two big fixtures coming up, though, Rob. So the question for you is, can we keep this momentum going? We're beating two good sides, but we've got Bolton in third and then Tranmere in fourth. Two very good sides. Two sides that are definitely favoured above us. But they're in playoff positions. If we want to make an impact, if we want to make a statement, we need to beat teams like this if we want to be taking one of those places. It's a real test for Salford City FC. Like you said, if you want to get promoted, you've got to beat the best teams around you. And with Bolton and Tranmere, they will be the two teams that Salford City will need to beat to, to get into that playoff system. It's important for the club. It's important for the fans. It's important for the new coach that they continue the momentum and continue winning because that's what they need. They need momentum going into these next seven games, James, because obviously they want to get promoted and the, the more games they win, the more chance there is that of happening. Well, one million percent, Rob, and it's only four points. 
You can make that up in two games, never mind seven. So I think Salford are in with a real good hunt now. They've hit form at the perfect period of time. We're all a bit scared. They were on such a bad run for a very long time. And it finally seems to have just about turned around. And now it's time to strike while the iron's hot to get those victories. And if they beat Bolton and beat Tranmere, I actually favour them to end up in the playoffs. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. Obviously, the people of Salford uh, will get behind them at the mo- uh, bit behind them. They can't get in the stadium now, there, James. But it's important they follow them on social media, and when they get the chance to get to the stadium and watch the watch the match, they do. Well, now more than ever, making positive comments on social media couldn't be more important. Get behind the lads, give them your words of support, fire positive tweets at them. Get that momentum going. Get their morales up. Support them. If you want to be playing League One football next season, you owe it to your team to get them there, to help them cross that line, to get into the playoffs. So fire them positive messages. That would be my words of advice. Yeah. Let's talk uh, Man City as well, uh, James. Mixed week uh, for City. 2-1 uh, win against Dortmund in the European Cup midweek. Phil Foden with last-minute winner uh, gave the Blues hope going into that second leg. Um, what do you reckon? I think Manchester City should still be favoured. This is the year, isn't it, where everybody's saying it's time to win the Champions League. A lot of the other teams in that tournament aren't doing so well in their own individual leagues within their own countries. And Manchester City are the odd one out in the fact that they've been absolutely tremendous in their league campaign. So for me, this is the year. But there's so much pressure on them, isn't there? Pep Guardiola... It's the one team he hasn't won a Champions League at. The team themselves have never won one. The pressure's mounting, but I still fancy them to beat Borussia Dortmund. But of course, Dortmund have got that ever-so-crucial goal away from home, scored by Royce. And off the back of that, they'll be extremely positive going into this one. All they need is a 1-0 win, and they're in the next round of the Champions League. So they'll be very confident. So for me... Both teams are going in this one with equal momentum, but I think the extra additional class with Manchester City will be enough for them to cross that line. Yeah, that's the pressure you see on Pep Guardiola because the European Cup is the one they want to win. And going into that second leg against Dortmund this week will feel a lot of pressure because he failed before at this part of the tournament and uh, it might happen again. I mean, they could well do. Manchester City have fallen apart in European football. It's been a bit of a pattern for them hasn't it, in recent times. And off the back of a, of the game on, you know, this weekend against Leeds, where they were beaten 2-1 by a 10-man Leeds, they won't be feeling extremely confident. Could that game have an effect on how they perform in the Champions League against Dortmund? It could do, James, because obviously they'll be worried that, 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 that they'll get, um, you know, turned over again if losing like win, winning becomes a habit. And if you're losing game after game, I know there are a lot of points in front of United, um, you know, going into the last few games of the season. But we've seen Newcastle United collapse at Christmas time. I suppose if uh, Man City collapse now, it'll be the biggest, uh, you know, biggest fall down since, oh, who knows what. Absolutely. I mean, if Manchester City somehow managed to mess this whole thing up now, if they don't manage to win the Champions League, if they don't manage to win the league, which seems obviously extremely likely, it'll be a horror show of a season for them. But I suppose weirder things have happened in life. But, Rob, if Manchester City do make a final, if they do get past Dortmund, if they do win the next few rounds and make it there to that final, are they going to have the mental fortitude to win a Champions League? 
I think with, with Man City, they've got some very good players in that side who have won things before, James. So when they get to the point where it's a, it's a game to win a trophy, then they'll switch on. For me, it's always kind of against smaller sides or against in tough situations in, in certain rounds that they need to see games out. And they, they do struggle, whether that's because the players feel the pressure or whether it's an inbuilt Man City thing. They always seem to collapse when, when they sort of look like they're going to go on, kick on to different things. And it's, it's a situation that's that's uh, going to be interesting for Pep Guardiola because he is the best manager you know in, in the Premier League uh, and he needs to kind of, do that in Europe yeah he went, he went to Barcelona he went to Bayern Munich and, and competed there as well but turning City into a European uh, Cup winning team will probably be his biggest uh, job uh, obviously they played Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final this uh, journey to the quadruple Chelsea will be a good team and uh, they'll need to play well to beat them they most certainly will and Something I want to ask you, Rob, when we look at the big clubs in the world, everyone has that dream of playing for Manchester United or Real Madrid or AC Milan or Juventus, Bayern Munich, all these big sides. Do you think in 20 years' time, Manchester City will be that big footballing giant, the team that you know kids in Asia, for example, watch on the TV and want to play for? I think in 20 years' time, James, Man City will be like Chelsea now. Because remember when Abramovich took over at Chelsea, kind of early sort of early 2000s, Chelsea were the team you know, who everyone looked to and who, who thought they would go on to great things. Yet they won a European Cup. They lost, they lost one at, at, against United. Uh, so I, I think they will be similar to Chelsea. Yet they've, they've won more Premier League titles in, in that period of dominance than, than, than Chelsea did. But for me, you've got to be more consistent in Europe and getting into finals, getting into semi-finals. Pep Guardiola does seem to, to sort of bottle it coming into that situation. So we'll be interested to see what happens. But fans are fans and, and they will get caught up in, in the in the magic of it all. Will they be big as Man United ever will be? Probably not because Man United have had that success, that extended success from the 60s into the 70s, into the 80s, into the 90s, into 2000. Even though they were relegated in 73, but still won European Cups in, uh, sorry, still won FA Cups and Cup Winners Cups along the way before they won the Championship again in the, in the sort of the mid-90s so they got that taste of success Man City are on a big run they've won you know Premier Leagues and they've won FA Cups uh, but for me they do need to win a European Cup to really put the stamp on it I mean I completely agree with you Rob I think it's of pivotal importance they win this one because if they do then they can go on a run they can win the next one and the one after that and build that trophy cabinet up if they don't win it then losing becomes a habit and losing becomes a pattern. And it might be a long time until they finally cross the line. Because every single season, you've got to be you've got to be better than 31 other teams that are at a very high level. There's always going to be a Real Madrid, a Juventus, a Bayern Munich there to beat you. So it's never easy. So if they don't cross the line this year, do you think they'll fall into that pattern, Rob? It will. It was, it, never going to have a better chance, James, than now to, to, to win the European Cup. The quadruple might kind of get in the way. Uh, whether they'll sacrifice that further down the line with the FA Cup, we'll have to wait and see. Um, let's move on to Man United now, James. Uh, they won 2-0 away at Granada uh, midweek and then beat Tottenham 3-1. Two good wins for them. Yeah, massively. I mean, the 2-0 win against Granada was to be expected, but you're still going to get over the line. Rashford and Fernandez bagging goals. And I think Oli's going to dream of a bit of European success this season. I think he's going to get it as well. I see us seeing off Granada later on this week and I think we can play a slightly 
reserve team. Obviously, you've got to put a bit of experience in there. That it's still a big game in Europe, but I feel like we can give a couple of the young lads a chance to play in Europe. I feel like that would be nice. As for the game against Tottenham, Tottenham, of course, a great side. We got a 3-1 victory against them. Fred, Cavani, Greenwood, all bagging goals. And a question I want to ask you about Tottenham is, is Harry Kane wasting his career there? Yeah, most certainly not. He's such a pivotal part of that Spurs starting eleven, And a few years ago, we had a similar sort of circumstance with Gareth Bale, a great player for Tottenham. But to prove himself as one of the world's best, he moved and he went to Real Madrid. Does Harry Kane need a move like that? Because if he stays at Tottenham, he's probably not going to win trophies. If he joins a, you know, a Manchester City, he might win a Champions League. He might win a Premier League. And again, he can win in Europe, all that sort of stuff. If he got joins, you know, a Barcelona or somebody like that. I feel for me personally, his legacy... And a legacy that could potentially be one of the greatest English footballers of all time because he's got the talent. I don't feel like he'll get that unless he leaves Tottenham. It's one of them testing things. It's like, I suppose it's like Gary Lineker, um, you know, England forward. He went to Barcelona, didn't he, at one point to test himself in the 80s when England English clubs were, uh, were banned from, from Europe. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. And now we move on to the world of ice hockey. Manchester Storm have most certainly been busy. Three games this week, Rob. Can you break them down for us? Yeah, Man Storm, you know, games coming thick and fast at the moment. Uh, they lost 3-1 to Nottingham. Uh, they beat Coventry 5-4 and then lost to uh, Derby uh, rival Sheffield Steelers 6-4. Mixed week, really, uh, for Manchester Storm. They played some good ice hockey in that, in, ice hockey in that period, uh, James. Especially against Coventry with the overtime uh, winner from Scott Simmons uh, was, was the highlight. Um Will Ryan Finney be happy with that? Probably not, but they've got games to come, James. That's the important thing about ice hockey. You can get back on the oar straight away because they play games thick and fast and it's uh, really entertaining. You mentioned Finney there, whether he'll be happy or not. Where do you think his mindset lies at the moment? It's going to be interesting because obviously he he hopes this team is going to compete and at the moment they are doing the towards the top of the of the elite league uh, and that's where you, as a Manchester Storm fan you want to see this team they've invested heavily in the squad James and you want to see them compete they are playing some good ice hockey they're scoring some good goals um, is it where where Ryan Finney wants to be it's a, it's a big question because obviously we, we want them to be near the top they want to they want to be at the top. But if they keep losing to, to Nottingham and to Sheffield on a regular basis, they won't be there. But you're hoping they'll they'll get back on the horse, they'll regather, regroup uh, and go again uh, in the next few weeks. Yeah, you mentioned there the Storm side is improving gradually. They're adding depth to that squad. Who have been the star players so far this season? Yeah, some fantastic players in that Storm uh, team. Uh, Kieran Long, top uh, goal scorer for the Storm. Uh, he knows where the goal is. And if they keep feeding him the puck, he'll keep delivering. Uh, ben Davis is a strong centre central defender. He'll keep the, the, the water tight uh, at the back. Uh, and Scott Simmons, like I said before, with the overtime winner against Coventry, he's their top assister uh, with four so far. He creates the, the, the magic for the Manchester Storm. And it's just a matter of them three players getting together and dragging this team uh, forward. We're hoping for better things to come. Uh, Ryan Finity, you know, we'll be looking at these three individuals to take the Storm to the next level. Yeah, I mean, they're very much an entertaining side, aren't they? And I bet you cut me back at Altrincham next season. 
yeah, it's exciting times at the Storm. You're hoping that, like I say, they'll be able to get the fans in sooner or later because it's exciting ice hockey. It's a really good sport to, to follow. Um, you know, down at Altrincham with with the the ice there, you know, it's very accessible for the players after the game, and that's what you want in sport, James. You want to be able to access your heroes, uh, and I'm sure they'll be itching for the fans to get back. Most certainly, are you itching to get back, Ralph? Oh yeah, I'd love my time going down to the Storm, uh, talking to Ryan Finity and the players after the game. Um, you know, these players put the bodies on the line week in, week out, play two and three games a week uh, normally. This ice hockey is super intense, super physical, super fast and, and you see them hobbling out of the changing room at the end of the game and, you know, they're really good people as well. They'll, they'll drop everything and talk to you and that's what you want You want in the sport and that's what you want uh, for the club of Manchester Storm. Uh, you know, obviously the great heights when they used to play in the MAN Arena, they're not there now but they've still got a great setup down there in Altrincham and I'm sure, you know, people will continue to get down to the uh, the, the, the Altrincham uh, rink uh, when we us fans can get back in. Yeah, and for those who've not caught quite the buzz yet, Salford is, of course, such a big city in terms of there's many combat sports out, stars out there. And, of course, Salford Red Devils being such a big, co- well, not combat sport, but most definitely a contact sport. You spent your life watching that, Rob. Is ice hockey on another level to even rugby in terms of being, you know, a brutal sport for real tough men? Well, I think there's a lot of... Lot of- Sort of uh, with rugby and ice hockey, it's very similar, really. Both athletic, both uh, physical, can be sort of magical as well. Can be like very sort of dance-like in in the in the build-up to 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 games and in in game situations. And that's what you want. You want it in sport. It's not all about being physical and 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 pushing people over and and you know being the, the alpha male on the on the the ice. It's just about playing the game and, and that's what it's all about I think with, with Manchester Storm and, and Salford Devils these players are physical but they're also gentlemen as well and it's and it's fantastic that we get to talk to them on, on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio big thanks for tuning in uh, to the Sports Zone we really enjoyed your company and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat